you're listening to Speaking of Health and Wellness, the podcast, where we dive into holistic nutrition, biomedical treatments, functional medicine, low-toxicant living, and developmental strategies with a special focus on children with complex picky eating, developmental delays, and neurodevelopmental disorders. I'm your host, Shandy Lasky, integrative speech-language pathologist, pediatric feeding specialist, functional nutritional therapy practitioner, and epidemic cancer certified health coach. Together, we are changing the conversation around how we view, discuss, prevent, and treat these childhood epidemics. I am so honored to have your time and attention today. Thank you for joining me and for all of your support. Please note that this podcast is for educational purposes only and should never be misconstrued as medical advice or a replacement for individualized care from your trusted providers. Now, without any further ado, let's get started. All right. Wow. Hello. Episode one of Speaking of Health and Wellness, the podcast. Welcome. (laughs) I'm so grateful to have you here. For those of you who don't know me, hi, I'm Shandy. I'm the founder and CEO of Speaking of Health and Wellness, which is the name of my business as well as the name of this podcast. I'm a nutrition and development coach for parents of children with complex picky eating, developmental delays, and neurodevelopmental disorders. I offer distance coaching to support families around the world through the use of holistic nutrition, development, and lifestyle strategies and I love it. You heard a little bit about me in my podcast intro, but as you can probably guess from the title of this episode, you're about to learn a lot more about me. I thought I would start off this podcast with a deeper dive sort of introduction into who I am and how speaking of health and wellness came to be. Um, As a disclaimer, I am nervous and Maybe for those of you who know me well, you can hear it in my voice that I'm nervous, Um, but I'm also very excited because this podcast is something I've wanted to do for over a year, and I'm finally hitting record today and doing it, nerves and all, and uh, I think I'm going to break this into parts. Yeah, I'm going to break this up into a couple parts, and um, we're just going to get into it, you know? (laughs) So sometimes on my walks, um, I love to go on little walks and, uh, when I'm get or like when I'm getting ready, I'll listen to a podcast. That's when I like to listen to podcasts, my walks or when I'm getting ready. And there's this one called the perfectionism project by Sam Laura Brown. Really good. Um, highly, highly recommend it. I resonate with so much of what she says. And anyways, as, as you might've guessed from her podcast name, she talks a lot about perfectionism tendencies for women entrepreneurs And, um, in one of the podcasts, she talks about how she does not edit her podcast, or at least if she does edit it, it's very minimal editing. And, um, she doesn't do anything major that's not 100% necessary. So, the idea of this for herself was that if she allowed herself to edit, she would just spend the time over editing and trying to get it to being absolutely perfect and she would just spend so much time on it right and um if you don't have a podcast of your own you don't realize how much time actually goes into it behind the scenes and with the amount of time that I've already put into this I can't imagine having to do extensive editing to edit out every single um or like or pause or throat clear or a dog bark in the background or something like that you know what I mean so I totally resonate with what she's saying and for the longest time that has held me back from actually doing my own podcast was you know how do I edit it and won't it take so long and so when she said she doesn't even allow herself to edit them I thought okay maybe that's what I need to do maybe I need to do that and it happens to be one of my favorite podcasts because I feel like I'm speaking to a human like you know I'm not speaking to her she's speaking to me you know what I mean like she I feel like I'm in a conversation with her um like we're just I'm you know on my walk and getting a pep talk from one of my friends (laughs) so anyways I liked that and I think that I'm going to 
like adopt that here. So my intention here is to keep this podcast as minimally edited as well, is what I'm saying. Um, I also plan on upgrading to better podcast equipment, but right now we're just going to work with what we've got. So I want to just thank you for your grace and your patience ahead of time because um, I just, I am recognizing that it may not be the best quality all of the time, but please know that I plan to update that with a better microphone system and things like that in the future. I want those of you listening to know how I really sound and know how I really talk to know, to, you know, to just get that sense of who I am. So, um, yeah, just, just like right now, you know, I, I, I'm, I've got notes here, but I also don't want to be totally scripted as well. So thank you for your grace and your patience as we learn this whole world of podcasting. So anyways, I've got some notes, like I said, but I'm going to try to stay unscripted. And because I really, you know, speaking of health and wellness is an extension of my uh, business, speaking of health and wellness, but I also... I am such a big part of the business, right? Like this is, so I want you to know why and how speaking of health and wellness came to be because it's a question that I am commonly asked, like, you know, how did you jump from being a speech language pathologist to becoming a nutritionist to integrating this work and and the, the things that I do now? Sometimes people want to see how I connected those dots. And so I figured that I would sit down and um, organize these thoughts and put them together. And so then I can always refer back to them. And I also just, um, I think that the, the nature of this podcast, as I see it evolving, we are going to get into topics and conversations that are going to be considered um, unconventional and I want to offer some insights into my experience and maybe why I'm talking about those um, upcoming conversations that we're going to dive into later. So I really hope that this kind of maybe it'll it'll set a foundation maybe maybe someone will start at episode one and just play it right through but I know that that might not be realistic so if you're not if you're skimming around I get that too I do that with podcasts anyways let's let's dive in so I want to kick this podcast off by sharing how my chronic illness was a catalyst to my career change and how speaking of health and wellness came to fruition and I just want to start off by saying that just to write all of this um, into my outline to kind of just revisit it to get the timeline down to share it with you, um, it brought up some emotions and it's been several years since the, um, the events that took place happened that I'm about to share with you and you know I am a healthy person like I have healed profoundly in so many ways but to revisit it again and to to um to get it out into words and now to start talking about it there are pieces of me even still now where I'm like is this sharing too much is this um being too personal and that's the other thing is that because I'm a professional and speaking of health and wellness is my business um you know I hesitate to share so much personal information because I don't want it to all be about me it's not about me it's about you it's about how can I serve you it's about how can I show up and shine my brightest light and be my best self knowing what I know now because of this experience that I had that was really crappy but how can I show up now and be of the best service to you um whether you're a professional working with the same demographics of kids that I do or you're a parent who is here 
to learn more about these um, strategies and the work that I do. You know, I, I want to share all of that with the world. And I want to highlight how, yeah, how I got there. So that's, that's where I'm coming from with this. And I always also get nervous to share my experience because I don't want to offend anyone or um, rub anyone the wrong way. I don't want anyone ever to be triggered by what I share or my experience. Um, but here's the thing that I've learned is that I could show up like to the best ability of myself and somewhere someone is going to find something to have a problem with. And that doesn't always have anything to do with me. Sometimes that is totally about them and nothing to do with me. So I, um, yeah, I, I'm just showing up nervous and we're going to go ahead and, and get into it because that's that's what I'm here for is to step into it to be able to share more um, action steps with you and connect these dots in a way that makes sense for you. And the way that I can think about doing that is how I learned it. So I'm going to kind of take you step by step in my own learning process um, throughout the course of this podcast is my hope. So thank you for being here to grow and learn with me. Let's take it back to why I became a speech language pathologist, which I'll also refer to as SLP for just a shorter abbreviated version. Um, And then from there, we'll dive deeper into my own health and wellness journey that led me to the work that I do with families around the world today. So my mom and my younger sister They both have dyslexia, which is a learning disorder that impacts language and literacy skills, uh, such as problems with reading and writing, but not their actual intellectual capacity or their intelligence. So I grew up with two people who were closest to me having a learning difference, and I got to see those impacts on their life from countless different aspects and angles, right? My mom and my younger sister. So as you can imagine, um, becoming an SLP has really offered a lot more insight to the struggles that they've had to overcome and still face. I wrote a blog a couple years ago where I interviewed my mom and my sister separately called Advice to Parents of Children with Dyslexia from Adults Who Have Dyslexia. And It's a really insightful blog for those of you who care to learn more about dyslexia. That's up on my website, Speaking of Health and Wellness. So when I went to college, I was between choosing a major in special education or medicine. And special education inspired by um, the journey and experiences I'd seen with my sister and my mom, I thought I had um, the patience and desire and I wanted to work with people who learned differently. But I also was really fascinated by medicine and um, being a healer. So, and just, you know, being a helper, like that's what I've always been called to do is just be a helper in the world. And so medicine and education really both called to me. Uh, but I wanted to have something that would be fulfilling. And um, yeah, so anyways, I took this course my freshman year of college that was focused on career choices, choices and self-exploration. And we did all these personality tests and stuff. And one of them one time came back with speech language pathologist. At the time, I wasn't even really sure that I fully knew what that was. Like, a speech therapist, you mean? (laughs) So I did some research and I found out that there was a um, SLP major introductory course that also counted 
towards the credits for the special education major. And so I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. Because then even if I don't, you know, want to do SLP work, I'll still have that credit for special education if that's what I decide to do. So um, at this point, I was really intrigued by speech language pathology, but I was very nervous about the idea that I would need to go get my master's degree in addition to my bachelor's degree. Um, I'm a first-generation college student, and I just, I don't know, I just never saw myself as being someone that, like, would go get a master's degree. And I just thought, like, two more years of student loans? I don't know about that. Um, But I... So I took this course, it was called Communication Disorders in Special Populations, and it changed my life. I knew I wanted to be an SLP from there on. I bounced around a bit with what niche in the SLP world I wanted to eventually work with. By the time I made it to graduate school, I was determined that I would be working with children who had cochlear implants or other hearing devices who were learning listening and spoken language. I became passionate about that area of children because when I was between my bachelor's and my master's degree, I was working at a major university hospital cochlear implant center, one of the best, perhaps the best, in the Midwest. Getting (laughs) poetic over here. (laughs) Anyways... (laughs) So this is where the story starts to turn a little bit more personal. And these are the parts that I get a little bit, or a lot of it, hesitant to share. Before I go any further, I just want to say again that this is my personal experience that I am sharing. This is not medical advice. And I don't want my story to provoke any sort of fear in anyone. I'm just sharing my experience in the hopes that it will benefit someone else some way, somehow, and I know that it has and I know that it does. And again, I'm trying to connect those dots for you guys of how I connected the dots to do to now doing what I do now. So it was January 2013, and the cochlear implant program that I was working for was directly across the street or this parking lot from the hospital's off-site OBGYN center. So out of convenience, I just changed my care to being right across the street from my work. And I was in my early 20s. I was in a committed relationship, but I knew that I didn't want children for some time. I knew two Uh, other women who had recently displaced IUDs with the doctor across the street at this OBGYN clinic, one of the doctors there. Um, And I didn't really know much about IUDs, but they raved about it and they had both, they both already had children. They talked about how they were so glad to be off the pill and all this. And so when it was time for me to go in, um, I wanted to ask about it. And at the time, there were two major IUDs that were popular that most people seem to know. And the first was the Mirena IUD, which is made of uh, silicone and it has time-released synthetic form of progesterone called, I don't even know if I'm going to pronounce this right, so just bear with me. It's like Levonorgestrel, Levonorgestrel, Levonorgestrel. Anyways, it is a synthetic form of progesterone, a synthetic hormone, and it allegedly time releases over the course of five years for women who have that IUD placed, an interuterine device. It is a T-shaped device that goes into your uterus as a method of birth control. The other IUD was a copper coil IUD that was called Paragard, and they referred to it as non-hormonal, the non-hormonal one, because it didn't contain any of the time-released synthetic uh, progesterone hormone. 
and I thought that I did my research. I was planning to switch from birth control pills to the Mirena IUD after speaking with my doctor. I was going to see what they said. I'd spent some time Googling about it, reading the first major links that came up talking about the risks and the benefits, and at the time, I wasn't entirely sure where to get and and what were the good sources of um, information for the type of information that I was looking for. I did not know how or where to access the package insert for the information from the manufacturers who make the device. Um, I now know that uh, every pill and device has these inserts that it is part of being a informed patient and or client to receive that information to make a fully informed choice. Um, I was given a pamphlet but that is very different than the actual manufacturer's insert and um, anyways I digress. So um, the major concerns that I found in my internet search at that time were uh, uterine perforation, perforation, device migration where it actually would like migrate to someone's <laughs> abdomen and they would, I don't know, it, it just is wild. So anyways, and um, ectopic pregnancy where the fertilized egg implants and tries to grow outside of the uterus where it belongs. So we all know that everything comes with risk. So I told myself, these things are rare. This is just what's come up on the internet. These things have happened, but it doesn't mean that it will happen to me. I am at one of the best hospitals in the Midwest. I'm at one of the leading OBGYN clinics, I'm sure. So I'm, I, I, I trust this. I've got, you know, two friends that I know that have it. They're raving about it. I trust this I, enough to at least go ask about it. At the time, maybe this uh, perception still exists. I don't know. But at the time, I remember there was like this whole notion that women who hadn't had children yet may not be the best candidates for IUDs. And so I wanted to ask about that. Since the women that I knew had it did have children, I didn't know anyone who did not have children who had it. So when I asked about their safety, the marina safety during my appointment, she said, the only reason some people have that misconception that it's only for women who have had children is because the studies who were done, um, were only done on women who have had children. But don't worry, I give these to women as young as 17 a few times a week. You'll be fine. And I always say her words, they still haunt me. Um, I remember she also said, if you end up getting acne really bad in a few months, it's not the marina, it's because you've gotten off the pill. So just let me know and I'll give you a referral to dermatology and they'll get you set up. And I am not trying to make it sound like what I'm about to share in this whole experience was my doctor's fault because I, I believe that she was doing the best she could. I truly believe that. But I will say that she did not know the risks fully and if she did, she did not inform me of them and she acted clueless when I experienced them and shared them with her. In fact, if she recognized what was going on with me, it may have saved me a lot of time and a lot of heartache and money, but uh, it would have robbed me of the experience that I actually had. And who would have knows if I, who, who knows if I, would be where I am today, helping families around the world, doing what I love, what I truly believe I was placed here to do. You know, there are so many people who have this like existential search for, you know, what am I meant to be doing here and, 
and you know, like, what's my purpose in life? I don't feel that. I am so grateful every day to wake up and do this work that is so incredibly needed in this world. We need a major reality check and paradigm shift when it comes to the work that's being done with children who have complex picky eating, developmental delays, and neurodevelopmental disorders. And I'm, I'm proud to be a part of it. And so I try to always just stay rooted in that gratitude for the experience that profoundly reshaped my life. And it's been a long time coming to get to this point, to say that I have gratitude for a chronic illness experience, but I am, and I I do truly mean that, and I wish that, I wish that for everyone who may be experiencing chronic illness out there, because it is a a grieving process for sure to go through so to go through all of that so anyways my heart goes out to everyone who is experiencing something like that and I just yeah I also want to know that I can't definitively say that this IUD caused my illness and by that I mean I don't have any forms of documentation or a formal diagnosis or a lawsuit or anything like that. And I, But I know what I experienced. And actually the truth is that I don't believe that it was the cause of it all. I actually believe that it was part of the issue. But the cause was a collection of everything that I've been exposed to over time, my experiences throughout my life in combination with my, my, my predispositions genetically, which I'm sure that we'll get into later. When I got the IUD, they told me that they'd need to dilate my cervix in order to place the marina into my uterus. And that this was probably going to be the closest experience that I'd ever have to childbirth that wasn't childbirth. And I still have not had a child, but I will tell you that it was in fact the closest experience that I've had to it. It hurt badly. It gave me a newfound respect for all the mamas out there, for sure. Um, But they told me that everything was placed and had gone perfectly. So I felt confident and happy about it, and I felt relieved to, for lack of better words, set it and forget it in my mind once all that initial pain was gone. Um, Yeah, and so after a month of having it placed, I went back to have it checked. I was still in pain, and I was told that it was still perfectly placed, it hadn't moved, and that the pain that I was experiencing was probably just because I was still healing and maybe something to do with me being petite. And they didn't seem to be too concerned at all about my pain or my concerns, so I thought that I shouldn't be concerned either, and I just carried on the best that I could. That spring, I found out that I had been accepted into my graduate school program for speech and language pathology. Super exciting. Um, But when I left that job at the hospital, I choose to discontinue my relationship with that specific OBGYN office just because of the distance and I really didn't feel like I needed anything that I couldn't get from another office at that point um and I could always go back if I needed to but it would just be a three three and a half hour drive so anyways for the most part I no longer had constant pain in my uterus daily but definitely just like general discomfort abdominally and in that area sometimes and (laughs) Not to get detailed, but like especially during and after being romantic, it was a huge deterrent. And sometimes I joke that the marina is actually an effective birth control method because 
it's it, it's such a deterrent that you don't even want to um, be romantically involved because you're just like miserably in pain. But I know that that's not everybody's experience. So, you know, that's just, that was just my experience. But anyways, in hindsight, looking back, now knowing what I know, I can see many signs that something wasn't right before I even realized it. I can recognize various different ways that my body, especially my immune system, was screaming for help. Like, for example, that summer after I had gotten it placed, right before I went to graduate school, uh, I got bronchitis randomly in the summertime, which was, I don't know, just really unusual for me. And that experience led to me being placed on antibiotics, which then added you know, another factor to the total load um, of this story. So in August, I I moved to this darling little cottage on a lake in the middle of nowhere, Michigan, 45 minutes from where I graduate, graduated with my bachelor's and my master's degrees, Central Michigan University in Mount Pleasant, Michigan. Shout out to all or any of the fellow uh, chips who might be listening here. So yeah, I moved to a cottage between um, Central Michigan and Ferris State because that's where my boyfriend was going. And this cottage was about 30, 35 minutes away from his school and about 45 from mine. There weren't really a, a lot of options. This is like rural country. And we got so lucky. We found this super cute little place on a lake. We found it on Craigslist of all places. But it was a family's second home, their little up north cottage that they would uh, have during the summer. And then when it was going into the fall, they decided to rent it out. And we got really lucky with that. It was a super cute place. I started graduate school and life was real busy. I was balancing classes, I was seeing clients, and I was doing a lot of driving back and forth and I started to burn out. I became really fatigued and bogged down. I was experiencing brain fog for the first time. Uh, I developed anxiety and it continued to grow and I I just felt like I couldn't keep up and I questioned if I had made some sort of major mistake and maybe this was all too much for me. And then I started getting this deep, painful cystic acne along my jawline and up into my hairline. And I thought that this was just all related to stress. I had just made a major move. I moved in with my boyfriend. I started graduate school, seeing clients going to class. I just thought I was having a hard time adjusting and that this was all uh, just in, in my head, I guess. But things continued to escalate and my acne intensified into my cheeks and my hair started falling out excessively. I felt like My entire body was inflamed. At night, I would lay in bed so uncomfortable, in so much pain. Every bone, every muscle, every joint, everything just hurt so bad, inescapable. I was so tired and I was so fatigued all day. But when I laid down to rest at night, I was overridden with insomnia and pain and racing thoughts, anxiety. My anxiety raged full force and became, to be honest, somewhat debilitating. I can remember driving home from school one day and stopping at this little little stoplight in the middle of nowhere and just being at the stoplight and just feeling so upset with myself and so anxious and just like really mentally beating myself up because 
Why are you so anxious? You have no reason to be. You have everything you need. You have you have this great boyfriend. You've gotten into graduate school. You have an awesome family. You are fine. Look at you. You're in your car. You're safe. You're done for the day. You're on your way home now. You are good, Shandy. Why are why are you so physically anxious? And why are you so uncomfortable right now? And I just was like beating myself up and I just I told myself, you just have to make it home. Like, you just have to make it home. And I wanted to crawl out of my skin. I remember thinking to myself, I want to escape from my body and I can't. And I felt so broken and so confused. This was not who I was. I had reached my breaking point and I knew that this was so much more than just anxiety in my head. And I needed answers. I started researching day and night about the symptoms that I was experiencing. And I started learning online through my own research about how the type of acne that I was getting wasn't just like a topical reaction. But also, it it was a deeper manifestation of what I was experiencing internally, hormonally related. I learned that chronic anxiety... Chronic meaning experiencing it for a long period of time, not just acute due to your life circumstances. I learned that it's, it just wasn't all in my head and it wasn't all situational. It was a manifestation of or as a manifestation as a symptom of what was happening internally. And I began to learn and understand the overlaps and the physiological mechanisms underlying my symptoms and how they all intersected with each other. I started waking up in the middle of the night from my anxiety, waking up with panic attacks, anxiety attacks, and I just could not take it any longer. That happened once or twice and I was done. This was not going to be my life. I needed to take it back. This was not just you have acne because you came off birth control pills several months ago or you're stressed out because you started graduate school and you're so busy and no this was a physical whole body medical issue and i needed help navigating it i saw a doctor in mount pleasant to establish care while i was going to school in that area and While they were caring, they couldn't really tell me why this was happening to me. They told me all of my labs looked normal. Um, They couldn't, they just, they really didn't have any answers. And this led me deeper into the rabbit hole of researching myself because I knew that what I was experiencing was so far from normal and that it's not just all in my head. Meanwhile, I'm in graduate school during all of this, and as time continued, I developed sensitivities and intolerances to my environment and the foods that I ate. It seemed like all of a sudden, all of the products that I had used in my home and in my hygiene routines, some I'd been using for years, were causing me to react in different various ways. I'd always been bothered by cigarette smoke, but... I became increasingly so sensitive that the exposure to cigarette smoke on people, just even on people, but especially when like I had to, you know, maybe walk through a group of people smoking or something like if I was directly exposed to it. And I believe at the time my parents still smoked, which they've both stopped. Thank goodness. Um, And I'm so proud of them. Shout out to them. But it made me so physically ill, fatigued, major headache, sinus issues for like the next two weeks after the exposure, just awful. I developed sound and light sensitivities, which were especially heightened at night. It was very much um, like by the time I reached the end of the day, it was like 
I just couldn't take any more. And I remember asking my boyfriend, you know, can you please turn the TV down? Can you please turn the TV down? And he just would look at me like, yes, I'll turn it down, but are you okay? Like, this is wild that you need me to turn this down because it physically hurts you right now. Uh, it just, I don't know. I, I became really sensitive to screens. I noticed that too much screen time really impacted my anxiety, my overall capacity and resiliency. So I had to be really mindful about how I did my schoolwork and the amount of like research into my own health that I was doing at the time because every moment that I was not at school or focused on school, I was focused on trying to figure out what was happening to me. And at the time, you know, for a while when it all first started happening, I was looking at all of these issues as their own separate issue. I was not seeing the relationship between my acne and my anxiety. I was not seeing the relationship between my sleep issues and my pain. I was not seeing the relationship between all of these things. And I can definitely relate to my clients who have had or do experience sensory processing challenges after this experience. I, um, I wouldn't wish it on anybody, This the experience. I don't remember what I searched or how I connected it. But one day, I came across silicone immune toxicity syndrome and the Mirena illness and silicone poisoning from Mirena and all of these different terms and my stomach turned because there it was all of the symptoms that I had been struggling with that I had been acting as if they were all separate unrelated issues there they were all of the symptoms that I had been led to believe and at times did question if they were all in my head there they were spelled out and shared by women around the world. I knew this was at least a piece of the puzzle that was going on with me. I shared this information that I had learned with my boyfriend and we discussed it all at length, processing it and trying to understand it. Ultimately, we knew that this was definitely related and that we, I, I had to get that out as soon as possible. And not only that, but that this was going to be a long road ahead to fully heal. I realized that it was more serious than I, I realized. And, but I think we were both relieved to have answers and to have a sense of direction because for for a while I didn't. I had a lot of misery but no sense of direction. And so this, uh, this felt hopeful to have some answers because it was, it was all right there spelled out in front of me. So the Marina IUD, it's shaped like a T-shaped device and it releases a synthetic progesterone hormone, as I mentioned, and it says that it releases over five years. Well, who's to say how the time release actually works? Because I haven't really found solid explanations from a scientific perspective. Um, And what about the dosage over that period of time? Had the dosage of women who were studied, were they my size? Did they compare that to the outcomes of women who were perhaps double my weight? Perhaps I was getting too much, too fast. But we're all getting the same dosage amount, Do you know what I mean? What if the amount of time-release substance 
releases too quickly. I had so many questions that never occurred to me when I was researching it to have it placed that were now coming up for me because I was understanding more about how it quote-unquote worked. And for a while, I thought that the silicone aspect of this issue was just solely related to the medical grade silicone that it's made from, the actual T-shape, but, um, and it may be, but I learned that actually it, so mixed with that synthetic hormone that it time releases, in the mixture of that synthetic hormone, it's actually mixed with a liquid form of silicone that is being time-released into the uterus and the body. Uh, what? That was never told to me. So, <laughs> ah, there is this uh, a Israeli researcher and immunologist. His name is Dr. Yehuda Schoenfeld, and I've met him, actually. I had the honor of meeting him at Autism One 2019 really brilliant man, known in the field of autoimmunity research. And he has done some really fascinating work on what he calls Asia. And it stands for autoimmune or autoinflammatory syndrome induced by adjuvants. And now most people know or are familiar with the term adjuvant as it relates to vaccines mostly. So we'll use that as an example here. So for example, adjuvants are a substance like aluminum that are used to create a immune response to that vaccine. And um, in agriculture, they use the term adjuvant to say it enhances the herbicidal herbicide application. So like adjuvant just means it enhances the reaction to the other things that are present or like antigens and things like that. So anyways, most uh, of the silicone work that's been done, well, okay, let me back up. Dr. Schoenfeld's work in Asia elucidated for me that silicone actually acts like an adjuvant in the body and can cause autoimmune or autoinflammatory types of responses. Most of the work and research around silicone immune toxicity syndrome or silicone poisoning, most of it relates to women with breast implant illness. Well, my symptoms and the symptoms of all of these women from that are having symptoms from the Mirena are very overlapping with breast implant illness. And I've been really glad to see the awareness of breast implant illness becoming more prevalent in our culture. And I hope that with that increased awareness, we can start the conversation around silicone and its actions as an adjuvant and how women with the Mirena are also at increased risk of experiencing this because people need to know. People need to know that it can happen to be aware of it. I haven't actually found any actual research literature on Mirena and silicone poisoning or silicone immune toxicity syndrome. When I was searching for some Mirena stories recently, though, I did notice that there were so many more than there were back then. And I am devastated to see that other women and their families have had to experience this. But I am also really glad to see more and more awareness being shared out there. And here I am, years later, sharing my own story, which sometimes I feel like, is this even relevant? Should I even share this? Uh, but it is relevant. And I, I would never have figured out what was happening to me 
if these other women had not shared their stories. So my hope is that this does not... I I would never wish this Marina experience on anybody, you guys, or this whole experience, but I hope that it just, like, offers maybe some insight for you in some capacity. Because of the silicone dump that was in my body, my immune system was overreacting because silicone is an adjuvant. My immune system was overreacting to basically everything else it was coming into contact with. And because it's all so connected, because the body is so connected, right? Even though we want to compartmentalize it, um, it's not. So it was naturally impacting all other systems of my body. And I started changing what I could. I started focusing on eating um, GMO-free and organic whenever I could so that I could limit the amount of herbicide, pesticide, agricultural residue that and byproducts that I could. I uh, We invested in a water filter because we were just drinking straight out of our tap. So we invested in the best water filter we could at the time. I now have a Berkey water filter that I love and adore, but at the time, I don't, I don't think I had come across that. Uh, so I did the best I could. And I started switching my products to uh, low-tox products. I did makeup from Etsy sellers. I mean, this was like several years ago. So I, the internet was different. The market for these products, it was different. And I actually made so many DIY products. Some of them were winners and some of them were not. I made my own toothpaste. I made my own deodorant and I use, I used that with success for a while, but I, um, I, I now use Primally Pure, which I love. And yeah, I, I, I made all these cleaning supplies. It was quite an experience. I don't make as much DIY products as I used to, but I was in college. I was on, I was living off student loans and I had to change these things like very rapidly. And let's just be very real here. Higher quality products come with a higher price because they cost more to create and the, you know, the, the value is more. And so I'm happy to pay for those higher quality products and those safer products. That being said, I would love to see everyone have access and affordability to these products. And that could be achieved if our regulatory agencies were operating from a place of integrity and making these companies make sure that it's safe before it hits the shelves. Because that was something that I learned the hard way was that just because it's on the shelf, it does not mean that it's safe. And there were a lot of things that I was reacting to that I now realize there are so many people reacting to their environment and the food they eat. That's the that's a humongous part of the work I do is looking at the environmental exposures and the foods that could be possibly triggering someone. Because the underlying factor for so many of these symptoms that I've shared and the underlying factor and commonality that relates to these the different demographics of children that I serve and the families that I work with, that underlying commonality is inflammation. And so if something in this person's total load is adding to this low-level, low-grade chronic inflammation, it's going to cause a problem. 
eventually it will impact the central nervous system, the digestive system, the endocrine system, all these different things. Um, yeah. So I started changing what I could. I started doing everything I could to minimize my exposures so that I had more resiliency to the things that I could not control because it felt like a bucket. I Some of you have seen this analogy of the total load theory or even with sensory processing disorder where they use a bucket or a cup as the example where you want to keep your cup from overflowing and ideally you actually want to keep it under the halfway point so that you stay regulated. You know, we are resilient beings. We can take on stressors throughout the day, but when you have this ever-growing accumulation day to day to day with your foundations not set in place, well, eventually dysfunction is inevitable to occur. I made a game plan to go home for spring break back to my parents' place in southern Michigan and visit my family medicine doctor who I used to see in high school. She has a really calm and gentle demeanor and I have always felt like she was more open-minded and really willing to listen more so than other doctors. And it wasn't up for negotiation. I wanted the marina out and I needed someone who would honor that without pushing back. She listened to my experience compassionately and she very gently questioned me one time, asking, are you sure if this is the decision you want to make by re- to remove it? And I was certain. That's what I came in there for. I was prepared for the marina crash, as the survivors on the internet call it. I was ready to start healing and getting my life and personality back. I had researched how to track my own monthly cycles, and I felt so much more empowered knowing how my female productive system actually worked. I highly suggest the book, Taking Charge of Your Fertility by Tony Weschler, totally changed my life. And I already had it, and my doctor recommended it. And so that was kind of synchronistic, and I appreciated that I could tell her Yup, I already got it. I just got it. Thank you for recommending it. It teaches how to read your fertility signs to either plan to get pregnant or to prevent getting pregnant. And it totally changed my life. I recommend it to all women. I think it should be required reading for women. Anyways, the Marina crash is the experience of symptoms that occurs following the Mirena IUD removal, your body goes into this like fluctuation, no longer receiving the synthetic hormones that it was, and it's trying to rebalance. But if you don't have the proper building blocks and foundation set for it to do that, or you don't give it the proper support, you'll likely experience dysfunction. And I did. When she removed it, she said that it looked as if it were placed perfectly. It wasn't out of place. It did not. There was no obvious sign, indication, or reason to her why it had caused me so many symptoms. And she also told me that my labs looked totally normal. I do feel like she saw me. I do feel like she saw my despair and how much pain I was in and that she truly wanted to help me. But there was a piece of me that questioned, and I still question, did she fully believe me? I was offered a diagnosis of chronic fatigue syndrome and or fibromyalgia and offered anti-anxiety and pain medications. And honestly, If it would have been earlier in that journey, I probably would have taken her up on it. But by this point, I recognized that prescriptions could not be the answer for me. And I was so sensitive to synthetically created chemicals inside and out that I didn't even want to entertain that idea. Because ultimately, that's what prescriptions are. You know, they're synthetically created substances 
that can be really great for some people, but I had just experienced a medical injury and there was a significant piece of me that had lost trust in this conventional system that in my mind, I was uh, very much about to be a part of and, uh, you know, as an SLP. And now, that's not, there's, a, there's no judgment here. If you are on those medications, I hope that they have been helpful for you. There is no judgment here in any way, shape, or form. I'm just, again, sharing my experience. My intuition knew that that was not my path. I wanted to to go deeper into the biochemical reasons that the marina that I... That, the biochemical reasons of why I was experiencing these symptoms. Because again, I don't want to say, I almost said that the marina did this. But again, I don't want to shape it like the marina did this. Because I can't definitively say that. But what I can say is that it, it was the straw that broke the camel's back, in my opinion, in my total load of exposures that really, um, and then, you know, there were other things that I am leaving out of this story that I also now recognize were medical injuries that maybe and probably I will get into in a deeper time at a later day, but this was the main one. And I had come across those diagnoses of chronic fatigue syndrome and fibromyalgia. I have come across them, I had, when I was researching for answers before I saw her. And I knew that those conditions were kind of like mystery diagnoses. They didn't have a known cause. They didn't have a known cure. It was just a label placed on a group of symptoms that would then, once you have the diagnosis, you can receive a prescription for said diagnosis. And I just, you know, w with that group of symptoms that those people are experiencing who have that diagnosis, again, what is the underlying commonality? Dare I say that it's inflammation for the vast majority, if not all of them? What if there isn't one specific cause or cure for these conditions because everyone is a bio-individual and uniquely created. What if? We each have our own unique genetic blueprints combined with our own unique epigenetic exposures and experiences throughout our entire lives. This is why some people still have their IUDs and their breast implants, and they're fine. But for all the reasons, the combination of everything, for me, resulted in not being fine. I was not going to accept either or both diagnoses because I knew that there was an underlying biochemical reasons there were biochemical reasons and causes to what I was experiencing. While I didn't quite understand it fully, with the device finally out, I was anxious and eager with anticipation for the healing to come. This was just the beginning of healing from the IUD experience. After removal came the infamous marina crash, which I was thankful I had, I was on spring break and was spending the time at my parents' home because I was 
surrounded by my loved ones who were so supportive of the emotional roller coaster that I was on and I could just be in my safe space. And yeah, that was quite an experience. I, um, I think though that I'm going to call it for this episode today and end this here now as the first chapter or part one of this story and I will pick back up in the next episode um starting with the the quote-unquote my experience with what I believe was the marina crash and was so similar to the experience that other women had on the internet and getting on the path to holistic healing and how I started to connect the dots to the different demographics of children and adults even who can be served through holistic nutrition and low-toxicant living and who would fall within the scope of practice of people that I would serve as a speech-language pathologist. And I just saw so much opportunity and exciting room for advancement in this field that I am so passionate about. And yeah, I just really look forward to um, organizing my thoughts in a way that I can deliver that to you and look forward to recording it for next time. (sighs) This feels like relief to be at the end of this part one, episode one, but uh, yeah, I just, I feel relieved and I, and I'm, I'm excited and I hope that you appreciated this story so far and I look forward to connecting with you again. Thank you so much for taking the time out of your day to let me be in your ears and brain and I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Take care. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks again for listening to Speaking of Health and Wellness, the podcast. I'm so grateful you've taken the time. For any of the references mentioned in the show, head over to speakingofhealthandwellness.com. If this episode resonated with you or inspired you, it would mean so much to me if you took a moment to subscribe, write a review, share it on social media, or with someone in your life who could really benefit from this information. Your support helps this podcast and the overall message and mission of Speaking of Health and Wellness reach more people. If you share on Instagram, tag me so I can personally thank you for listening. If you're on Facebook, come join our free community group of like-minded parents and professionals. The direct link is in the podcast description. I hope that you have a wonderful rest of your day. Thanks again so much and take care.